0: Good evening, Don't Unfriend Me Nation, and Merry Christmas. I hope you had a fantastic day, lots of food, bountiful experience. There's an armistice treaty when it comes to Democrats and Republicans. They were still out in droves, but I kind of stopped trading salvos for a day and decided to go ahead and just enjoy Good friends in the Christmas spirit. I hope you did the same. Tonight, what are we talking about? Well, that giant bill that is looming, the $1.7 trillion, there was a little piece of legislation that I'm really surprised people who challenged the 2020 election haven't been freaking out because I guess all the cures and all the people who do the conspiracy sites haven't grabbed a hold of this. They've been too busy chewing on other things. To actually notice. So I'm going to cover it tonight and tell you a little bit about what it's about, why it is constitutional, and why this whole thing is a big mess. Folks, I will be right back in 30 seconds. (laughs) Thank you for watching Breaking Truth on the Don't Unfriend Me channel. My name is Matthew Spear. I am the host of Don't Unfriend Me. We didn't change the name, did we? I'm out of practice. Uh, Episode 420. But I do not recut the show. Always have to move ahead and do the right thing. Folks, Minutemen Coffee. One of the best coffees on the planet. I had a chance to crack the bag. I just switched partners with the Minutemen. And uh, listen, they are the second largest veteran-owned coffee company in the United States. So I took it on their word that it was great coffee. Listen, I know I'm selling this stuff on Don'tUnfremmy.com, but holy moly, it is amazing. Like I had the the, uh, Trader Joe coffee. It was amazing. We made 10 cups, and we plowed through it at like 8 o'clock at night. Tried the Don't Tread this morning. It's simply amazing. It's a cut above the rest. It's not Starbucks and acidic and kind of bleh tasting as, as that coffee tends to be. Go pick up a bag or three bags actually, and get Trader Joe for free over on Don'tUnfriendMe.com. And real quick, this pays the bills, folks, not because it necessarily they're paying me, but these are good friends of the show. Behind me right here is American flag, a wooden flag. If you go to the Percival flag Company.com, PercivalFlag.com, you can save 10% off any flag plus get free shipping. You can't beat it. It's made of wood and shipping anything today in today's society and world. Is uh, for free is a pretty good thing. So, folks, thank you so much for joining. Let's talk about what we were going to talk about tonight. Thanks for the long intro. I got to get through the work. The Electoral Count and the Reform Act that we've heard about, the Electoral Count Reform and Presidential Transition Improvement Act of 2022 is what it's actually called. It was introduced into Congress by Republican senators. Now, when we say Republican senators, we have to be very careful to understand are these people midliners? Are they hardliners? Are they conservatives? Or are they just pretending to be Republicans, as rhinos or uniparty people often do? In this case, they were a little bit of all of that. But here's how the bill's summary defines its content. And this is really important. And why is this important to you? Well, on the, 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 the far right side, people are saying, well, this is the way for them to steal elections like they did in 2020, whatever. Democrats are saying we need this to have free and fair elections. Well, guess what? Neither are true. Uh, nobody's trying to steal an election from this. What they're trying to do is show the provisions in something that was ratified in 1804 that doesn't necessarily have the language as there are many different states with many different rules on how they handle state and local elections versus federal elections. And helping closing the gap in this language is important and it's already been ratified. So the constitutionalists who are saying, oh, well, we have to go back to the Constitution, what it said. Well, it never said Mike Pence could go ahead and overturn the election, never said that, and either did the Reform Act in 1804. And certainly doesn't say that now, and I'll go through that. And it revises the process of casting and counting the electoral vote specifically for only presidential elections, as that's the only time we use the electoral vote. The bill also revises provisions related to the presidential transition process, which is also important. The bill specifies that the choice of electors must, and when I say must, I mean must, occur in accordance with the laws of the state enacted prior to Election Day. Additionally, the bill identifies each state's governor, unless otherwise identified in the laws of the Constitution of the state, in effect on Election Day as responsible for submitting the certificate of assert- ascertainment identifying the state's electors further the bill provides the expedited j- 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 easy for spit it out junior wow let's try that again Further, the bill provides for expedited judicial review. You say that three times real fast for any action brought by an aggrieved presidential or vice presidential candidate arising under the U.S. Constitution or U.S. laws with respect to the issuance or transmission of such a certificate. Doesn't sound like it's a lot less confusing. We'll get to it. The bill revises the framework for the joint session of Congress to count electoral votes and makes a formal declaration of which candidate has been elected president and vice president. Among other changes, the bill specifies that the role of the vice president during the joint session shall be ministerial in nature and more ceremonial. And it raises the objection threshold in Congress to at least one fifth of the duly chosen and sworn members of both the House of Representatives and the Senate. The bill also revises the presidential transition process, including it allows more than one candidate to receive federal transition resources under certain circumstances, and two require additional reporting by the General Services Administration. Now, what is this additional funding and sourcing? Well, if you remember the Pre- the The office of the president-elect Joe Biden when he went ahead and put up a, a pop tent and it was actually a building across the street from the White House and demanded money and funding so he could get started. Well, this actually moves that funding right after the election is called within a week's time can go ahead and submit for funding to open up the president-elect's office. M- my personal opinion is it's 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 a horrible idea. You're not in office until you're sworn in. You should do no work for the government in any way, shape, or form. Now, if you want to go to a ball or do a fundraiser or something to that effect or go visit uh, an ailing state because of a tornado or a hurricane, that's completely different. But if you want to dictate policy out of your office, it really is unconstitutional. And I. I hope that SCOTUS picks this up and takes out some of this provision, because if there's one thing that does not fit within the Constitution, it's certainly this. But the bill is neither Republican nor Democrat, if you really want to be honest, and I'm hard-pressed to see anything in its provisions that would prove objectionable to either Republicans nor Democrats, unless it's the people who says all the election was stolen and they object to anything, that doesn't mean that Republicans are going to win. And just like Democrats, if it's Hillary, also believe that everything's objectionable unless their candidate wins and those people you couldn't please half the time and second time to the other. So why do Democrats despise the electoral system, though, and always use the past to justify their repugnant attitude towards it? Because if they're trying so hard to embrace the Electoral College and make sure the process is smooth, well, don't they want to abolish it? Are they admitting it actually works if these slight changes take effect? Well, of course they they won't. But if you look back all the way to 1960, that presidential election and only that one, was the only close race compared to the 1888 presidential election, and that was the closest of all time in U.S. history. It was also one of the most unique elections in U.S. history since it's featured a sitting president, Grover Cleveland, who was defeated by Benjamin Harrison, but who would go on to win re-election to a non-consecutive term four years later when Harrison lost his bid for re-election to Cleveland. Confused? Good, you should be. In the 1888 presidential election, Harrison beat Cleveland by a mere 100,000 votes, which doesn't clear anything up and makes it even harder to discern. But out of a total of about 11 million votes cast, 100,000 is insane. Harrison, however, won more states, including most of Northeast and almost all of the Midwest. And the questionnaire is correct. Twelve years previously, the people who actually challenged this, in 1876, Democrat Samuel Tilden beat Rutherford B. Hayes by more than 250,000 popular votes, but lost the electoral vote by a single vote, 185 to 184. But the results of that election were arguably more hotly contested than in any other election before or since, and that includes the 2000 presidential election, but probably not the 2020. There were 20 disputed electoral votes that ultimately all went to Hayes, ensuring him the victory and some scholars believe that a secret backroom compromise was reached between the parties whereby the Republicans were given the White House in exchange for ending post-Civil War reconstruction in the South. That was owned by the Democrats, too, no matter what they say. The reason why Democrats didn't call for an end of the Electoral College in 1888 where they won the popular vote and lost the electoral vote is simple. The Democrats in 1888 realized that the U.S. president is not elected by means of the popular vote in total. He is elected by means of the electoral vote total. To a Democrat or anyone else in 1888, the argument, but he won the popular vote, would have been considered laughable and completely nonsensical. Obsession over the popular vote in total is a relatively recent phenomenon by the Democrats only when they lose. This is not to be taken as a criticism of the Democrats, because Republicans do it too, neither then nor now. But to my mind, discussions about reforming or abolishing the electoral college system are both stupid and a waste of time. But these discussions should take place objectively and not in the light of lost elections, even though I just said they were stupid and completely a waste of time. In the end, as a thought experiment, how plausible is it And let's take a real consideration of this where the people say that Mike Pence could overturn the election and all he had to do is do it. and He's a traitor to Trump. Well, here it is. And I want you to play through this. Do you really believe that the forefathers drafting the Constitution would have said, yeah, let's let the vice president, who may well be one of the candidates in the election, effectively have autocratic power over which votes get counted to determine the winner? And that was ratified in 1804, folks, that the opposite party loser of the election became the vice president. So could you imagine if Hillary got to decide if Donald Trump actually won, or if Biden could have decided that in 2016? It's nonsense. Democrats often use this language, the the language that uh, it's unfair only when they lose. But the Democrats want to respect minority rights, supposedly but they don't want the minority of U.S. voters to determine who gets elected president. According to their language, they say it's unfair. So if you break that down very slowly, they're not for minority rights at all. If they feel the minority voice should have no merit in deciding an election, which it often does, it seems a tad ironic. But So do most things that the Democrats say they do for minorities and wind up doing nothing. Just look at the last 60 years and the 16 out of the 17 most violent cities in America and the 32 out of 35 most violent cities in America are all ran by You guessed it. Democrats. Folks, thanks for watching tonight. I appreciate it. It's good to be back, and I hope you have a wonderful new year, a wonderful Christmas. We are live at 8.30 Monday, Wednesday, Friday. We are live tonight. Stop by Facebook, Twitter, uh, wherever. Just stop on by at The Dumb Show, and you can come and watch us live. And we do a recorded show Monday through Friday on most weeks, four or five shows a week that you can see. Those usually drop between 7 and 7.30. Once again, my name is Matthew Spear. Thanks for stopping by. Veteran Crisis Hotline, we go out the same way. Every night, 1-800-273-8255. Press 1. Or you can press 988 on your phone. 22 veterans commit suicide a day. It's way too many. Please provide this number to a veteran. They need a battle buddy, a swim buddy, and now they need anybody. Anybody is you. If you don't mind, please share this number. It's free of charge. It'll never be reported to their duty station. And if you are not a veteran, that's fine. You can also call and you'll never be turned away. Folks, Matthew Spear from Don't Unfriend Me. I will see you next time with a new show. Same bat time, same bat channel. God bless and good night.